Ephesians chapter number 6 in your Bibles this morning. And we'll be um, beginning this morning from verse 10 down through verse number 17. And I'm going to be preaching a sermon that I would normally, a style of sermon, I would normally be preaching on a Sunday evening. Um, normally Sunday mornings are reserved for more, you can make it one more week, the love of God, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, this sermon will be far from that. and It will be more of a reality check for all of us. The theme this year is going to be a reality check for all of us this year. And so uh, once you've found Ephesians 6, if you would stand, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll be reading responsively every other verse together down through verse number 17. I'll begin in verse 10. We'll begin together in verse number 11, down through 17. The Bible says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Together, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Later on in the year, we'll be doing a series of sermons on the armor of God. That's not the point of this passage this morning. We're going to be looking at the topic. The title of the sermon is the same as our theme for 2021, and it's this. Stand for Jesus. Stand for Jesus. Uh, It is becoming more and more and more important, Christian, for you to begin to take a stand for what is right. There's an old story about a frog who is in a, a pot of water, and the heat was slowly turned up on that frog, and because it was turned up so slowly, he cooked in the water. He never hopped out. Christian, the persecution against your faith is so slowly being turned up that if you don't at some point take your stand, hop out of the pot, you're going to end up cooked like that frog. We must stand while there's still time to stand for our freedom. We must stand for Jesus. Because He, we should live for Him because He died for us. So we'll be looking at this this morning. The purpose of the sermon this morning is to uh, whet your appetite for the series all year long, the theme all year long. And I hope that this morning you'll be challenged to take a stand for Jesus afresh and anew. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is the written version of you, Lord. You are the living word. The word that has always been. The word that sacrificed much on our behalf to redeem us. The word that one day we'll sit in front of and worship and enjoy forever. Lord, I pray this morning that you would challenge all of us to be more fervent in our faith more expressive with our faith, more bold about our faith. Lord, may we take a stand for what's right. May we take a stand in your name. 
And Lord, may the world around us know that we really, truly are Christians, regardless of what it costs us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a publication entitled The Presbyterian Survey. We do not know who it was that had this dream. The article in this newspaper read, but the unknown dreamer could have been any one of us. He said, I saw in a dream that I was in the celestial city. Though when and how I got there, I could not tell. He said, I was one of a great multitude which no man could number from all countries and peoples and times and ages. Somehow I found that the saints who stood next the saint who stood next to me had been in heaven more than 1,860 years. Who were you? I said to him. We both spoke the same language of heavenly Canaan so that I understood him and he me. I, said he, was a Roman Christian. I lived in the days of the Apostle Paul. I was one of those who died in Nero's persecutions. I was covered with pitch and fastened to a stake and set on fire to light up one of Nero's gardens. With horror in my face, I looked at him and I exclaimed, How awful! How awful! No, he said, I was glad to do something for Jesus. He died on the cross for me. The man on the other side spoke, uh, 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 the man on the other side then spoke. He said, I have been in heaven only a few hundred years. I came from an island in the South Seas. John Williams, a missionary, came and told me about Jesus, and I too learned to love him. My fellow countrymen killed the missionary, and they caught and bound me. I was beaten until I fainted. They thought that I was dead, but I revived. The next day, they knocked me on the head, they cooked me, they ate me. Again, with horror on my face, I looked at this man and I declared, How terrible! How terrible! No, he answered, I was glad to die as a Christian. You see, the missionary had told me that Jesus was scourged with a cat of nine tails and crowned with thorns for me. Then they both turned to me and said, what did you suffer for him? Or did you sell what you had for the money which sent men like John Williams to tell the heathen like me about Jesus? The man said I was speechless. While they were both looking at me with sorrowful eyes, I awoke and it was all a dream. But I lay on my soft bed awake for hours thinking of the money I had wasted on my own pleasures, my extra clothing, my costly car, my many luxuries. And I realized that I did not know what the words of Jesus meant. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Our theme verse in 2021 is Ephesians 6.13. Let's look at it together. Let's read it out loud together. Can we do that? Everyone look at Ephesians 16, 6.13. Ready? Here we go. Let's read it. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, 
And having done all to stand. Having done all to stand. Stand for Jesus. Matthew 24 Verse 37, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So how was it in Noah's day? How evil was it in Noah's day? Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 tells us how evil it was during Noah's day. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Isaiah worded it this way, In chapter 5, verse 20 of his book, he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is that not where we are as a culture and a society today? If you hold to a traditional biblical viewpoint on marriage or sexual orientation or gender pronouns, if you hold to a biblical traditional view on sexual purity and godliness, you are considered rare and weird and evil and you are against people and you are discriminatory and you are a hate Filled hate mongerer. But if you believe things that are uh, the Bible declares evil, you are celebrated by the culture at large. We are living in the days of Noah, and the return of Jesus is imminent. His return draweth nigh. As Americans, we have been richly blessed by God. We have enjoyed 244 years of religious freedom. We have enjoyed many, many generations of wealth and excess. American Christians are comfortable. American Christians are entitled. American Christians are soft. Soft. I don't say these things to hurl insults at any of us. I'm simply pointing out what happens to any group of Christians who have it as easy for as long as we have had it. This is just what happens. My friends, persecution is going to come to the American church. And it is coming soon. It is coming soon. Persecution is coming to the American Christian. And it is coming soon. My question for you this calendar year is this. Are you ready to take a stand for Jesus? Are you ready to do that? Throughout history, religious freedoms have been taken away uh, from Christians. And many Christians have suffered for their faith. Even right this very moment, in many countries around the world, Christians are being persecuted because Christianity is highly illegal. North Korea is one such place. One particularly disturbing story from Vernon Brewer, president of World Help, a humanitarian group, shows how the government tricks children, North Korean government tricks children into telling on their own parents. Brewer shared the story of a little girl named Un. Un was told by her third grade teacher that she had a special assignment to go home and find a book. And if it was the proper book, she was told she would be rewarded. 
In the end, Un discovered a Bible and told her teacher. The next day, she received a prize at her school. But when Un returned home, her parents were gone. Un would never see her parents again. It's hard to imagine, Brewer says, the, the president of this organization, it's hard to imagine such cruelty that would unknowingly turn children on their own parents. One journalist worded it this way, On the surface, Christianity does exist in North Korea. Its constitution on paper vows to protect religious freedom and forbids discrimination based on one's faith. Thus, the capital of Yongyang is currently host to five state-controlled churches, the Protestant Bangsu, uh, Chilgol and Jail churches, uh, the Catholic Jongchung uh, Cathedral, and the most recent being the Orthodox Holy Trinity Russian Church. Yet all are deemed to be little more than fraudulent showpieces for visiting officials and tourists. But below the surface, there is an authentic Christian movement with extreme risk. It is estimated that there are up to 70,000 Christian prisoners in concentration camps right now in North Korea. And the Database Center for North Korean Human Rights conjectures that more than 75% of Christians who are dealt this fate do not survive. Defectors have spoken of Christians being crushed by steamrollers and used to test biological weapons or hung on a cross over a fire and burned to death. In order to avoid punishment, Christians must worship quietly and in secret. Telling children about the Christian faith certainly carries its risks, as children may not be able to keep their mouth shut. Some families even secretly worship with the lights off in the very back of their home in the cover of night. Rather than belting out songs of praise in a public church service, these Christians are forced to whisper in the basement of a home, in a back room of a home. People must also live out their faith quietly throughout their actions rather than vocally. With, so, with some families secretly worshiping with the lights, or rather, um, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, they live out their faith quietly through their actions rather than vocally as many other Christians are permitted to do so around the world. North Korea is one place, is one such place. The Middle East is another such place. Christian women and children are being bought and sold as slaves, typically for sex, but also for labor in the Islamic State. Meanwhile, men and boys are forced to convert to Islam or are put to death according to mounting evidence collected from the region. Although the Islamic State only publishes official propaganda, its dark side is being revealed by documents and the testimonies of people who flee the oppressive theocratic regime. Among the most chilling documents is a price list obtained by IraqiNews.com, and it reveals the prices that Sunnis can pay to purchase a Christian woman or girl for marriage or slavery. Young women and even children are used for sex and are even employed in brothels. Older women are just put into domestic servitude. Price ranges, uh, prices range from $40 to $160 for women 
with young girls fetching the highest prices. Two thoughts on these severe conditions for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Number one, we should remember and pray for these as they suffer for the Lord. We should remember and pray for them regularly. You know, I tell you these stories, I'm trying to set the proper perspective. Someone looks at us the wrong way in church, we get our feelings hurt. Do you understand, you women, do you understand that if you were caught in an Islamic country being a woman, your sentence would be rape over and over and over again. Men, they would either force you to convert to Islam or they would bury you up to the neck and with just your head sticking out of the ground, they'd play soccer with your face until you were dead. We have it pretty easy right now, don't we? We should remember and pray for our brothers and sisters in the Lord as they suffer. Secondly, we should take a stand now in America for what is right before our country becomes a plate of great religious persecution. Proverbs 14.34, if you know it, say it with me. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. How does Satan take a country like Korea and turn it, that one day at one point had great religious freedom, and turn it into severe persecution? Watch this now. Watch this, because this is how Satan works, and this is how he's currently working in America right now. America is in phase one of Satan's plan. Here's phase one. Ready? He rocks the church to sleep with comfortability and complacency. He creates lukewarm Christians who love their carnality more than their Christ. Number two, stage two. Once enough Christians have been rocked to sleep and made casual in their faith, he moves to phase two. Here it is. He brings severe persecution to the church and causes those who are lukewarm to denounce their loyalty to Christ altogether. You see, because if you really aren't that crazy about Christ, and you're going to have to suffer for Him, why would you stick around to do so? Has the attack on Christian liberty begun here in America? Oh, yes, it has. Consider these examples as just the tip of the iceberg. State of Washington versus Arlene's Flowers. Baronelli Stutzman, the owner of the Arlene Flowers, rather owner of Arlene Flowers in Richland, Washington, headed back to court in 2020. Although Baronelli serves all customers, the state of Washington and its attorney general are suing her in her business, suing her in her business and personal capacity because she politely declined to create custom floral art for um, longtime customers' same-sex wedding in 2013. By the way. Uh, the, the gentleman that she refused to serve did not sue her. It came out on Facebook what had happened, and the state's attorney's office saw it and chose to sue her based on the information they gathered. 
While targeting Baronelli for her biblical beliefs about marriage, the state chose not to take action against coffee shop, a coffee shop owner who profanely berated and expelled customers because of their Christian beliefs. Even though the incident was caught on video. And that story is that a group of Christians were sitting in a coffee shop in the state of Washington having a Bible study. They were keeping it themselves. They were not being loud and rambunctious. The owner came out and began to cuss at them and take the name of our Lord uh, uh, and our Savior in vain and began to say all sorts of things that were rude and, and awful and kicked them out and banned them from ever coming back. The whole thing was called on video. The state's attorney's office in Washington has no interest in pursuing that discrimination but does have interest in Baronelli there you see on her screen because she kindly refused to create art create a flower arrangement for a longtime customer. Now listen, if the government succeeds in punishing Baronelli for her beliefs, she and her husband would lose everything. Not just her business, but their home and all of their retirement. She's being persecuted because she's sticking to her faith. Because she's taking a stand for Jesus. And again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I could stand up here for hours and tell you stories of what's going on in court around this country. How about this one? New Hope Family Services versus Poole. New Hope Family Services is a Christian adoption provider and pregnancy center that has placed more than 1,000 children into adoptive homes since 1965. Yet if the state of New York has its way, New, uh, New Hope will, will have placed its last child in the arms of an adoptive uh, family. All because of New Hope's belief that marriage is between a man and a woman. In keeping with its Christian faith, New Hope places children only in homes with a married, married mother and father, while referring unmarried couples, same-sex couples, and others to nearby adoptive providers. This past October, the New York State Office of Children and Family Services gave New Hope an ultimatum. It could either violate its conscience by placing children in same-sex households or submit a closeout plan for its adoptive services. While represented by Christian attorneys, New Hope has asked a federal court to stop the state's campaign to shut down its adoptive services because of its biblical view of marriage. Every single month in this country, there are court cases being brought against religious freedom. And watch this. Here is the battle. You have those who are on the sexual revolution side and tearing down biblical morality, uh, claiming the legalities of discrimination. We're being discriminated against and we need our rights protected. You have that side versus those standing up for religious freedom. And those two things are butting heads in courts. And what's going to happen with enough time is that religious liberty will have to give way for discrimination laws and Christians will be labeled as hate-mongering, hate-filled people because they take a stand where God takes a stand. My friend, it's coming. And I want to be clear that I picked this theme and I had a good chunk of this sermon put together well before November 3rd. 
I didn't select this theme as some sort of a doomsday theme based on how the election went. If Donald Trump had won, our theme would be the same and I'd be preaching the same sermon. This morning, I'm here to tell you that persecution is coming to the Christian church. You count me a prophet right now, standing up and telling you it's, it's coming down the pipeline and the rapture's not necessarily going to bail us out. It might. It probably won't. Persecution's coming and we need to stand for Jesus right now. Right now, I propose that Christians need to get real with their faith. It's time for Christians to wake up and stand for Jesus. We do, not, we do this rather by putting on the armor of God every single day. We stand publicly for Christ when we learn to kneel privately before Christ. The Christian's most powerful position is on his knees in prayer. This morning, we're going to look quickly at four thoughts. Four thoughts as we consider our theme for 2021, Stand for Jesus. These four thoughts I'm going to give you, I want everyone to write these down on the back of their bulletin. These four thoughts are going to be our four sermon series this year, all right? And I'm just going to give you some generic thoughts. And next week, we're going to jump into the first point of the sermon as a series. And we're going to look at that for several weeks. And so I want you to write these down, and I want you to consider them all year long. Number one, notice, stand with conviction. Stand with conviction. Look at Ephesians 6. Look at verse number 14. And when I pause, I want you to either read the next word or the next phrase. Ready? Here we go. Verse 14, Ephesians 6. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of, let me hear you now, shield of, there it is, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Alexander Hamilton famously said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Look at that list there. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God. Hey, Christian, how well do you know these things? How well do you know your armor? You don't get to be little David standing before King Saul saying, I've not tried these. I don't know these. I can't wear these. Oh, no, Christian. You have a Bible in front of you, and you have a Christian life to live, and you need to get to know the armor of God. You need to become familiar with it. You need to know how it fits and how it feels and how it functions and how it works, and you need to give your all to it. Now, uh, many people know what they believe, but they don't know why they believe it. We have, we have a country full of Christians who let the life group leader and the pastor tell them what to believe, but they do not know why they believe what they believe. Now, I want you to stay awake this morning. Remember, while you're sleeping in church right now, there are Christians being persecuted in Korea and in the Middle East and all over the world. Let's not be so comfortable. Let's not be so soft that we can't even sit through a church service and listen to a message. Does your faith mean something to you? Does it mean something to you? When I was a 7th grade math teacher, I had two types of students. I had those who followed the procedures that were taught in class. They didn't want to know why. They just wanted to know the what. Right? 
if I do this, 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 and this, I'll get the answer. Then you throw a word problem at them, and man, they were lost. Word problems check the why, not just the what. <laughs> and I'd have a student raise their hand. Actually, I had Pastor Morales' daughter in my math class. I believe I had Jocelyn in my class. Jocelyn was in my math class, and she raised her hand one time, and she said, Mr. Lejeune, she said, I can't get the answer to this math problem. And I came and sat down next to her, and I said, okay, Jocelyn Morales, let's work through this problem together. And I said, do you know what to do? And she said, no. So I showed her the procedure. And I said, now let me explain to you the why. She said, whoa, 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 whoa. As long as I can get the answer, I don't care how I got there. I don't want to know the why. Just teach me the what. You know, I had other students in the class, they'd raise their hand and say, but why? And that was a good why. Sometimes when kids ask why, it's not a good why. That was a good why. They wanted to know not only how to get the answer, they wanted to understand the entirety of how the whole thing worked. The ins and the outs and the science behind the math problem. They wanted to know all of the mathematics, all of the arithmetic. And you know what I find? I find there are a lot of Christians who they really don't know why they believe what they believe. If I were to sit down with them and I were to say, do you believe the Bible is God's Word? They'd say yes. I'd say, do you believe that it's perfect? They'd say yes. And I'd say, prove it. And they'd say, but I can't. I'd send somebody else over to them and they would take more of an antagonist approach and say, well, what about this and this and this? And, you know, the Bible's nothing more than a, a book of uh, fairy tales. And, and, and what about these contradictions? They're, they're not really there, but seeming contradictions. What about this over here? Did you consider this over here? And you know what? Some of you, your faith could be pretty rattled pretty easily. Because you've been told what to believe but you've not made it yours. When persecution comes your way, Christian, why would you stand? Because you believe something up here on a shallow level, but you don't believe it right here. Gatorade had a slogan for years, Is it in you? Is it in you? Is it in you? How could someone die being burned at the stake? How could someone be quartered behind four horses, pulling them in different directions? How could someone have a spear ran through their body for their faith? How could someone die on an upside-down cross like Peter did? How could someone refuse to denounce their faith, even if it meant becoming a sex slave? Because they don't just believe something up here with their head. No, they have a conviction in their heart that God is real. That they're saved by grace through faith. That Jesus suffered for them. And they're going to stand for what they believe. Why don't Baptist Church, Christians listening abroad via the internet, it's time for us to wake up and stop being soft. It's time for us to quit walking through the motions of attending life group or Sunday school and sitting through a church service and yawning while we read our Bible and saying our little five minutes of prayers and getting up and moving on and going on with life and living and fitting in with the culture. No, it's time to know what we believe and why we believe it. It's time to stand with conviction. Number two, stand with courage. Stand with courage. Look down at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11. 
Consider this sermon your wake-up call, Christian. America is going to hell in a handbasket because Christians are asleep at the wheel. And I can't wake up every Christian in America, but those who listen to me and have influence, I have influence over, it's time we wake up. It's time we stand with courage. I'm talking to teenagers who attend public school and use the language of the public school kids of the world. And listen, it goes on at Christian schools too. I was a Christian school kid, and I heard filthy jokes and bad language in the locker room too. It goes on at Christian colleges. I'm talking about people at the workplace who sit out at the lunch table and listen to all the language and the bad jokes, and you go along with it to fit in. I'm talking about people who blast worldly music in their homes to fit in with their neighbors. I'm talking about people this morning who care more about fitting in with the culture than they do taking a stand for Christ. We lack courage. We're soft. It's time to wake up. It's not enough to come to church and wave a hanky in the pew or hold your Bible high or say amen and act like you're on board with the preacher on Sunday and go home and live like the devil on Monday. It's time we learn to stand for Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. We need courage. We need courage. Look at verse number 11. Paul said, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We stand at church and we go home and lay down for the devil. Satan fires his wiles at us and we just lay right down. Look at verse 13. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate this morning. I'm trying to grab you by the shirt collar and wake you up. Not out of anger. Out of concern. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God, that ye may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Look at, verse number, uh, look at verse number 19. Paul said, And for me, that utterance, that means I'll be vocal about it, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. I'll speak up about it, to make known the mystery of the gospel for uh, which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Christian, it's not just enough to go live a Christian lifestyle and put your head down and keep your mouth shut. No, Christians speak up. They're vocal about it. Christians aren't afraid to open their mouth. Christians tell the world about Jesus. What happens when we believe something deep to our core? What happens when it's burning within us? As Jeremiah said, I had a fire burning within me and I could not stay. I had to stand up. I had to speak. I had to say something about it because it wasn't just in my head. It was in my heart and it was burning me up. And I had to stand up for what I believed and I had to declare to anyone and everyone that would listen. When something burns down to your core and you believe it deeply within you, we cannot help but stand up to those threats against what we believe. Paul is saying here, I know what I believe. God, give me courage to say the hard things. Give me courage to stand for what is right. I don't mean to name call for the sake of name calling, but I'm just, I'm just calling it like I see it. Many Christians in today's culture, many Christians are cowards. Many Christians are cowards. They can't take a stand for Christ at home, at work. With their neighbors. We are afraid to confront someone, even if we confront them kindly, we're afraid to confront someone that takes God's name in vain. Let me pause right there for a minute. Christian, listen. God's name means something. In the Old Testament, before they wrote down God's name, 
They took off their clothing. They took a bath. They put on fresh clothing. They wrote his name down. They took off that clothing. They took another bath. They put on another set of clothing and then continued writing. That's how much they valued the name of God. The letters OMG, I'm not going to say what what it is because it's empty. Even anything close to it shouldn't be coming out of the mouth of a Christian. His name is powerful. You know, when I'm watching TV, which I don't do as much as I used to, when I'm out and about in public and I hear someone take God's name in vain, my blood begins to boil. I know I'm not supposed to get angry. But I feel defense for my Lord coming in strong because deep down in here I love Him. It's everything I can do to keep from losing my cool and being a jerk to someone, but I generally just politely say, that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and He's amazing. Could you please be careful with His name? You know what it does when I say that? It makes things really awkward. Really awkward. Sometimes they apologize. Sometimes they nervously laugh. Sometimes they get upset. Are you willing to take a stand for Jesus when people take His name in vain? Are you willing to say, oh, no, What would you do if someone started taking your mother's name in vain? Do you love your mother more than you love your heavenly father? We're afraid to confront someone who takes God's name in vain. We're afraid to tell our co-workers not to tell dirty jokes while we are present. We're afraid to tell people we go to church on Sundays. We're afraid to pass out a gospel tract to a complete stranger. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being scoffed at and made fun of. Many Christians are cowards. Paul says, there are some things that I deeply believe. Those beliefs are under attack by Satan himself. I must speak up with boldness. I'm not saying Christians need to be jerks. I'm not saying Christians need to be mean. We're to speak the truth in love. We'll look at that tonight. But my friend, we are to stand with courage. Stand with courage. Why? Because we're on the Lord's team. And we're going to take a stand for our Savior. Number one, say it with me. Or stand with? Number two, stand with? Number three, stand with commitment. Stand with commitment. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18. Look there with me. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit and watching thereunto. That next phrase, with all perseverance. With all perseverance. That's that stick to itness attitude and supplication for all saints. Many people are Christians when it's convenient. But when it ceases to be convenient, their Christianity seems to fade away. Many people are good Christians for a short time. How many of you here have ever been to a hibachi grill where you sit around the grill and they cook right in front of you? How many of you have ever been to one of those? It's pretty neat, right? The guy does all the magic tricks with the knives. and You know, they put that oil there on the, on the cooking surface. And he takes a lighter and he lights that. Whoa! This big flame shoots up. You know, that's how a lot of Christians are. Big flash. Whoa! And then you never see him again. And you think, this guy's going to go do something great for God. Man, this lady, she's got it. You never see him again. I call them Alka-Seltzer Christians. Big splash, big fizz, and then nothing else. God does not just want you to be faithful to him and take a stand for him once or here and there. He wants you to be 
consistent. He wants you to persevere. He's looking for that commitment that no matter what, no matter what, I will stand for Jesus. How many of you are familiar with the historical character John Paul Jones? Raise your hand if you know who this guy is. Some of you need to get caught up on your American history here. John Paul Jones uh, was a naval captain during the Revolutionary War. And for his tenacity and his committed spirit, uh, he was uh, given a ship, five ships that were ragtag, converted merchant ships into war vessels, and he was sent to the British seas to disrupt the Navy before they could even make it here to the New World waters. And uh, he took those five ragtag ships and uh, went and picked a fight with a British fleet that was far superior to his own. At one point, it appeared that uh, Captain Jones had been struck and that the battle was all but over. The ship he was on had been struck. And uh, uh, tactically, it looked as though there was no coming back. And the British yelled across uh, the way to him. They said, do you give up? Do you give up? Are you ready to wave the white flag of surrender? Mr. Jones came out onto the, the, the hole there, the deck, and he yelled back across. He said, I have not yet begun to fight. Some of you thought that was Bugs Bunny that said that. John Paul Jones, I have not yet begun to fight. And he would order his men to stand strong and stand tall. And in the face of great opposition, they would fire with great precision. And they would do so much damage to that British fleet that the British fleet did not find it uh, worthy to stay uh, and pay the price it would take to overcome, overcome Captain Jones. And so they retreated in defeat. You know, it was men like John Paul Jones, uh, men like him that were part of the American Revolutionary that brought about a victory. And the reason why we have our independence today. You know, sometimes in the heat of the battle, especially in our culture where Christ is no longer popular and secularism has taken over and materialism and humanism reign supreme, sometimes it can feel like a losing battle to stand up and do what's right. But a southern gospel songwriter, he penned the words to a song he entitled, I've read the back of the book and we win. Amen. Aren't you glad that we win in the end? Hey, we may be losing what appears, we may be losing the battle right now, but ultimately God will win the war. And Christian, you want to stand for Jesus because that is the winning side. That is the winning side. Uh, uh, look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of uh, this world, uh, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is this battle that's going on over our heads, this, this, this immaterial uh, battle between the forces of darkness and the forces of righteousness that take place over our decision-making and our souls and our stand on a daily basis. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand, look here, in the evil day. There's going to be an evil day. We're going to look at that in great depth uh, this year. And having done all to stand. You know, sometimes as a Christian you run. Sometimes as a Christian you walk. And sometimes as a Christian it's all you can do to just stand for Jesus. Hey, it's great those seasons of the Christian life where you run. And it's great, those, uh, 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 those, those stages of the Christian life where you walk with the Lord. When you're under heavy assault by the devil, you stand your ground and you stay put. You do what's right for the Lord. 
One Christian songwriter put it this way. He, uh, rather, a Christian soldier, let me just say, you are on the winning side. Another Christian song, uh, rather, is uh, I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember the rest of the lyrics, but it's really good. Amen. And uh, one day we're going to be on the winning side with King Jesus. Boy, I sure would hate to look at Jesus in the eye and say, when the tough got going, I quit. When the tough got going, I just joined in with the culture and didn't take my stand. Christian, will you stand and fight for what is right? Will you do it with boldness? Will you do it to the death? Stand with conviction. Stand with courage. Stand with commitment. Number four and lastly, stand for Christ. Stand for Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Or rather, let me just say this. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Take your Bibles to Revelation 4 for me. Paul, what was Paul saying there? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what Paul was saying there? He's saying, I get up every morning. I eat, drink, sleep, breathe the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I go out every day and I'm his ambassador. He said in our passage there in Ephesians, he said, I'm an ambassador in bonds. I'm uh, the Lord's servant and I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stand and represent my Lord well. But he said, for me to live is Christ. Whatever it takes, I'm going to live for Christ. If that means I'm beaten with rods, so be it. If it means I'm shipwrecked and I spend a night in the day, so be it. If I'm flogged, if I'm I'm left on the edge of town to die after being stoned, so be it. I'm going to stand for Christ. For me to live is Christ. And he said to die is even better. He said to die is gain. I get to go be with Jesus in heaven. Jesus worded it this way in Luke 9, 23. He said, and he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me ask a question that might be obvious but one that begs to be asked. Why should you stand for Christ? Isn't that really the question that needs to be answered? Why? Why should you stand for Christ? I think we know the answer, don't we? Because He laid down His life for us. Christian, He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of you living your life with reckless abandon. He's worthy of you selling out for Him. He's worthy of you giving it your all. He's worthy of you being unpopular at work or in your neighborhood or at school. He's worthy of you living a life that's pure. He's worthy of you reprioritizing your life to put Him first. He reprioritized His life to be able to save your soul. Oh, I could stand here for the next 20 minutes and wax eloquent about why He's worthy, but I think John did a far better job in Revelation. Look at the last verse of chapter 4. We'll read down through chapter 5 and verse number 10. Let's read verse 11 together. Ready? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5, verse 1 continues. It says, And I saw in the right hand of Him that sat on the throne a book 
written and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And this, what was God holding? He was holding the title deed to earth. Verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John said, I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, behold, look, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. John, wiping tears out of his eyes, getting his focus back, looking for a lion. Verse 6, John says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, not a lion, says, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth, and he came, and took the book out of the right hand of him, God the Father, that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, Jesus had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders, twelve from the Old Testament, twelve from the New Testament, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials or bowls full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made as unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. He's worthy, amen? Will you stand for Christ? Are you willing to stand for Christ? Hey, Christian, are you soft? Are you comfortable? Are you entitled? Revelation 3. Revelation 3. One chapter over. Look at verse 15. Jesus, speaking to the church in the city of Laodicea, described what I believe to be most Christian churches and most Christians in America today. Jesus said to the church, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, or rather cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I wonder if God won't let Satan unleash persecution on the American church just so he can get rid of lukewarm Christians. You know what persecution does? It pushes people off the fence. You're either going to be get cold toward Christ or you're going to get hot toward Christ. I sure don't want God to have to bring persecution my way for me to have to decide I'm sick of being a lukewarm Christian. I sure want to make that choice before that time comes. I don't have 
some special message from God. I don't know exactly when persecution will hit the American church. But I have two eyeballs. And I have a brain. And I can study history. And I can look at trends. And I can assure you it's coming. Christians, if we don't stand now, we're going to wish we had. Will you stand for Jesus? Even if it costs you something? Will you stand for him in your marriage, even if it causes friction at home? Will you stand for him with your children, even if it means attitude and issues? Will you stand for him at work, even if it means you get fired? Do you trust God enough to take care of you? Will you stand for him in a conversation with other Christians who are not acting like Christians? even if it means they isolate you and don't want to talk to you at church anymore. Anybody can stand for Jesus when it's easy. Will you stand for Him when it's not? Will you stand for Jesus? I'd like to ask everyone this morning to stand to their feet with their heads bowed and eyes closed. Two thousand twenty one, we're going to take those four points conviction, courage, commitment, and standing for Christ. We're going to look at those in great detail. I can preach all day. You can show up to every one of the sermons. It can go in one ear and out the other. I can't make a change. I can rattle the cage. I can give you the message. But deep down inside of your own heart, you have to make a choice. I have decided. Can we play that for the offertory? I have decided to follow Jesus. Can you do that? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No matter what it costs me. Lord, I pray that this morning you would work in the hearts of your people. Lord, we're comfortable and it's not necessarily our fault. Complacency usually is our fault. But Lord, even if we're comfortable, we can still make a choice. That no matter how, how tough things get, we're going to stand for you. Lord, would you do a great work in our heart tonight, this morning rather. Guide us and lead us. Help us make decisions that matter. May some teenage boy or girl here this morning decide right here, right now, they're going to begin to stand for you at school. May some employee or employer make a decision that Jesus is going to mean more to them than anything else. Lord, no matter the situation, may we make decisions that you will be our first priority. In Jesus' name.